Uh, first is that we are still looking for anybody who is willing to help us out um, with the children's Sunday school, uh, 9 to 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Uh, this will help us to uh, open up a second Sunday school room for the kids. Uh, and so uh, how often you'll be able, uh, you'll, you'll be asked to, to serve will depend on how many people we get. And so uh, the more the merrier. Uh, so if you are willing to help in that way, please let either uh, me or Rhonda Stevens know uh, by uh, next Sunday. So next Sunday is the deadline. Uh, and also speaking of uh, deadlines, um, September 29th is where we're going to have sort of our, our men's outing, acts, throwing, and some wings. So if you are interested in either of those, you don't have to do both, uh, but uh, that is okay. We love children. Um, but uh, if you, or if you want to do both of those things, or either one, whatever the case might be, um, it's going to be sun, uh, not Sunday, Friday, September 29th, and I would need to know also by next Sunday as well, amen. So please let me know. And then lastly, September 24th, Sunday, we're going to have a congregational meeting immediately following the service. Uh, and so just to review the finances for you and other matters as well, uh, it should not be uh, a, a long, drawn-out meeting. And we'll have documents sent to you uh, electronically. Uh, if you are not receiving uh, the newsletters, uh, please let me know, and we'll get you on the list. And as always, we'll have some, uh, some, some things to eat, some snacks for you and for your children as well during the meeting just to hold you over so you can you know, to get to go home and have an actual lunch. So, anyways, those are all the announcements. Uh, let us go before the Lord and let us worship. Uh, we come here with, uh, for many different reasons. We come because we want to worship the Lord. We come because we want to hear from the Lord. We come because we want to see one another and see our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we come here for many different reasons. The Bible tells us that, uh, that God uh, plans and orchestrates all things according to the counsel of His will. So no matter what the reasons are for us being here uh, this morning, or even if you are discouraged and in, your, this, in this morning you may have struggled and even wrestled and wondering and, and just wrestling with yourself and doubting, like, I don't really feel like going this morning. According to the scriptures, you're here because the Lord has planned for you to be here. And because the Lord has planned for you and I to be here, it means that he also has a purpose for us being here this morning. And so let us go before the Lord. Let us uh, submit to Him our, our thoughts, our emotions, our very lives, and the worship of His great name, and ask that the Lord would fulfill His gracious purpose uh, for each and every one of us as we come and worship Him this morning. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand and worship this morning. <clears throat> Let me share God's Word with you. It says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. O oh my soul. Worship his holy Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day. 
was near and my time has come and still my soul will sing your praise unending yes lord ten thousand years Oh 
merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend. Who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Counselor, counselor. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful and merciful Savior that you are. Father, uh, as, as we sang these songs this morning, I'm, I'm reminded, Lord, of of who you are, how, how small we are, Father, how dependent we are. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you may humble our hearts, God, 
that in that humility we may be drawn, Lord, to your feet, understanding who we are in Christ, understanding the sacrifice that was made on the cross for our sins, Lord, for your people. May the reality and the weight of the salvation that you have graciously given to us be evident as we think about the work that you have done for us and the love that you have displayed on that cross. We don't deserve any of it, Lord. But God, but you, Lord, still loved us. So, Lord, this morning we sing songs of praise, thanking you for that work. May you lead us now, Lord, in your, in your word and in prayer. May your spirit lead us, Lord, in all things. May you be glorified, God, in all things. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. At this time, we'll be dismissing our children uh, to their classrooms. morning I'm reading from Ephesians 1 11 through 12 and then we will spend some time in prayer. Ephesians 1 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. If you're bored, try to just break down just verse 11. I mean, there's, there's just so much there. One of the things that you immediately see that there's, there's nothing there for, that you and I ever do. It's in him that we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All for the praise, the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Great Father in heaven, you are the God who ordains and orchestrates all things according to the counsel of your divine will, all for your glorious purposes. Lord, even to the smallest details, from our sleep last night, however good or however bad it was, to our rising this morning, to what we had for breakfast or whether perhaps we skipped breakfast 
to our getting in our cars, to how fast or how slow we drove to get here. All of these things were orchestrated according to the purpose of your will. You're using each and every single one of our smallest decisions. Orchestrating all of those things in ways that are beyond our comprehension. And we find ourselves here this morning. God, and we rejoice in that. And we come to worship you according to your definite plan. We know that our being here today is according to your definite plan because we find ourselves here today. There are no accidents or such a thing as chance in your divine plan and providence and sovereignty. Father, we turn to you this morning Lord, in in confession of our sins, we ask that by your mercy, Lord, that you would forgive us our trespasses, forgive us, Lord, for every sinful choice, for every sinful action, for every sinful thought. Forgive us, Lord, and have mercy upon us. Be gracious to us as your dear and beloved children. Father, in your divine sovereignty and providence, Lord, it takes into account even sin. Lord, in your divine providence, you don't just manage sin. You don't just manage the consequences of sin. Lord, but you plan even sin itself. Not that you will sin into existence, not that you are the author of sin or cause sin to happen, for the scriptures tell us that there is no evil in you and neither do you ever tempt anyone towards evil, but you are only good. But even, but even our very sins, Lord, they are part of your plan for your glorious purposes and even for our good. So we're thankful, Lord, that these things are never outside of your divine plan. Lord, would you help us? Your word teaches us that you lead the humble in what is right and you teach the humble his way. Lord, help us to be a people who are marked with humility so that we may grow in greater understanding of your ways, so that we may do what is right, and so that we may be taught Lord, help us to be teachable. Instruct us, Father. Help us to walk in your ways and not in the ways of the world or in our own ways. Father, we pray. We pray for our church. We pray. We pray for for Wayne. And Father, we pray that you might continue to be gracious to him and look to him. We pray, Father, that you might direct his steps. We pray, Father, that he may continue to look to your word and encourage him through your word and give him strength for every trial and every need. 
We pray for our sister also, Shantone, and we pray, Father, that you may also establish her steps, help her to continue to look to you as her source of encouragement, as her source of strength. We pray, Father, we pray with her, Lord, that you might grant and bring salvation to her children, that they might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Father, we pray for our brother Gerald. We pray, God, that you may also be a light unto his feet and a guide unto his path. We pray that you might continue to teach him your ways, Lord. That you may increase his heart's capacity to understand the length, breadth, and height, and depth of the love of Christ through the precious gospel. We pray, Father, for his family, that you might bless them and keep them. We pray for his sons, Lord. We pray that you might direct each and every one of them, direct their paths, Lord, to where they might continue to know more and more of you and the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might understand more of that, the reality that Jesus Christ died for sinners. That sinners might not perish in the ways of the wicked. Father, we pray for others in the church. We pray for those who are in a season of trial, for those who are in suffering, for those who are discouraged. We pray for those who are grieving. Father, would you draw near to your precious people and comfort and establish their hearts would you protect them, Lord, from the schemes of the evil one? Would you help them to find comfort in the precious promises contained in the Word? Would you help them to find comfort in knowing that even in this season of trial and grief, and even perhaps suffering, that you are orchestrating these things for your glorious purposes and for their good? Father, we pray for our sister Reshma, God, as, we, as she uh, enjoys time with her family. We've come to see her over the next couple of weeks. Lord, would you bless that time? We pray, Father, for gospel conversations. We join her in praying for their salvation. God, we pray that they may not leave this country and go home without coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, provide for her every need, including financial needs, as she continues to raise support and give her the peace that surpasses all understanding. Father, we pray for our church. We pray that you might help us, help your church across New England. to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, give your church boldness, a persuasiveness. Give us an increasing love for the gospel, an increasing love for the lost. Increase our hearts' desire to see a great salvation that we might pray to this end and that we might do our part in this end, not only in praying for a great awakening and revival, that we might also faithfully share the gospel. Direct our steps to the lost, 
so that we might share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray, we pray for these several individuals who are pro-life and are facing over 10 years in prison for standing for life in the womb. Father, would you, God, would you guard their hearts and their minds Father, would you help their loved ones and any fear that they might have? Father, we pray that you would spare them, that you would protect them. Lord, that they may not serve any prison sentence for such a bold and good and virtuous act. Would you rally around them people who will help them and support them? Would you surround them with the right individuals who will defend them in the court of law? Lord, and even in such a dark moment in their life that they might see the light of your glory, the light of hope, a light of encouragement that comes with the gospel of Christ, and that they might rest in knowing that even in this, that you are orchestrating these things for your glory and for their good. And lastly, Lord, we pray for those in our church who are in managerial positions, for those who oversee others, for those who lead projects, who manage staff, who help others and train others, who are responsible for different parts or facets in their employment. Father, would you give your people knowledge, understanding, wisdom, so that they might do their work in a way that is efficient, profitable for those that they work with, and in such a way that they might shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help them in these things. Establish the work of their hands and their minds to your eternal glory. Father, we praise you. We worship you. We entrust all of these things to you. And God, we look forward to all that you are going to do. May you continue to fulfill your gracious purposes for your glory. And God, for the good of your church, we pray these things in faith. And it is in faith also that we pray the prayer that you have taught us to pray in the Scriptures, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, if you would, please turn with me to Psalm 135, Psalm 135, verses 5 through 6. I know that we have ended our series through the Psalms over the summer, but we are looking at one more passage in the Psalms as we consider this morning the topic of God's providence. And next week we will pick up where we left off in the book of Acts. Psalm 
the one, Psalm 135, verses 5 through 6. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you might be pleased to bless us this morning. We pray that you might be pleased in fulfilling your great purposes for us as we continue in our time of worship this morning, now particularly worship through the Word. We pray, Father, that you may be pleased in blessing us and keeping us and establishing us in the gospel of Jesus Christ and bringing strength and comfort and encouragement through what your word says concerning your divine providence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I just love... As we consider God's providence, as we consider last week, doctrine of creation, just love theology. Because theology is so practical, or at least it should be. Theology is, is applicable. We don't seek to understand theology for the sake of knowing, but we seek to understand theology and give our minds to understanding theology so that we might live. Because your theology determines how you live. Your theology determines the decisions that you make. Theology determines how you love your spouse, how you raise your children, how you interact with coworkers, just how you carry yourself in the day-to-day. And the doctrine of providence is something that certainly determines the how of your life. As we begin, it's important, I think, to consider what providence is, of course, and what it isn't. And if you're following in the, if you, haven't, if you have the bulletin, you're following the bulletin, it's just one point, God's providence, and then there's several subpoints to that. So very simple. I know it lacks any creativity whatsoever, but... There are several points, or several subpoints under the main heading of God's providence, is looking at different facets of the providence of God. So, as we consider God's providence, first let us consider the infinite distinction and infinitely good when it comes to who God is and who Christ Jesus is. In defining our terms, the providence of God is sometimes confused with the sovereignty of God but they're actually very different. The sovereignty of God is his right and power to do all that he pleases. The providence of God, by definition, is God's preserving his creation, operating in every event in the world, and directing the things in the universe to his appointed end for them. So there's preserving, operating, and directing. Preserving speaks to his sustaining of all things sustaining of his wonderful creation, 
there's operating, so the working out of all things, of every event in the world. And then directing. Directing speaks to purpose. That there is a, there's a great object, there's a, a great vision that God has in mind when it comes to his creation and everything he is sustaining and operating and he is ultimately directing for his particular purposes. So concerning the providence of God, while sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he pleases, the providence of God is the exercise of his power and his right in accomplishing whatever he pleases. And that it is purposeful. And I chose in the passage that we read, Psalm 135, because it is a passage that speaks to the providence of God. We see in the passage this infinite distinction. It says that whatever the Lord pleases, he does. And that's very different for his creatures. You and I might desire to do a lot of things, but we don't do them. There's a lot of things that we might be pleased in doing, but we don't do them. And to some degree, that's a good thing. Right? Because sometimes man wants to do that which he pleases, and that which he pleases might actually be sinful. Right? Perhaps he seeks revenge, because that would please him but he doesn't carry out with what he desires to do because for a number of reasons. One might be the conscience. Christopher says that God has placed his law upon our hearts, right, that restrains sinful man from being as sinful as he could be. Perhaps he's had very good parents who have taught him right from wrong, and so that also functions as sort of this restraining component in his life. There's also the fear of those who are in authority who are tasked with bearing down the sword against the evildoer. Right, so there are a number of things that keeps man from doing everything that he pleases, and especially those things that are evil and wicked and sinful. But even when one desires to do those things that are good, we are not always able to do that which would give us pleasure because we might not have the time because we might not have the strength or the energy, because we might not have the resources. But God's very different. Right? God is not limited by resources. God is not limited by time. God is not limited by any lack of strength. So when the Scripture says that He does all that He pleases, it's because He can do all that He pleases, and there's no one to tell him that he can't because there's no authority greater than the authority of God. And thankfully, the Scriptures teach us that God is good. Mark 10, 18, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So when he tells us, the Scriptures tell us that God does all that he pleases, we know that because in his nature God is good, all that God pleases, all that would bring pleasure to God to do are those things that are good. The world was brought into creation through the word of God and everything. They wanted to all the way down to day six, 
It's all good. It's all good. It's all very good because God only creates things that are good, things that are consistent with His own nature. And so in this passage, we see this infinite separation, something that distinguishes us between us and God, and that is that He can and He does all that He pleases while you and I might desire to do a lot of things, but we cannot. But even though there's this infinite distinction between us and God, God's purposeful, purposeful rather, providence sees to all the affairs of his creation, human history, and even the details of each individual person, and thereby showing us that while there is this infinite distinction between us and God, the providence of God in turn shows us that he's actually much closer than he appears. Much closer than we might think. Secondly, providence defended. The scriptures are saturated with the providence of God. Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. The Lord is the grand architect of all things. He has created the blueprint for His creation. He knows exactly how things are supposed to work, and He knows exactly the plans that have been laid out. He knows exactly how the story is going to end, and He knows every single detail from the very beginning to the very end. Kayla and I had, had met this past week with a couple from Tennessee, and we talked about homes, and they had, uh, they had designed their own home. They had built their own home. And, then, and if you've ever designed your own home, then you know that it's not an easy thing. In our ignorance, we thought, wow, that must have been actually a pretty enjoyable process. And they were like, well, it was a little bit, but there's a lot of frustrations also in building your own home. The designing process is a little fun, but we've come to learn very quickly that plans don't go the way that they are supposed to. So, for example, they had wanted uh, a partial basement. Somebody read the blueprints wrong, and they ended up digging out a full basement. And then became a situation where it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do about this? Uh, who's going to absorb this cost because it's not what we wanted? How are we going to fix this? Because we don't want a partial, we, want, we don't want a full basement. We just wanted a partial basement. And they had said in talking with others, they've all come to similar conclusions. That nothing goes like it's supposed to. What was supposed to take 12 months, in their case, took 24 months to complete. God has the blueprints. He's designed the blueprints. And there's no accidents. Nothing ever happens by accident. God never says, well, that wasn't supposed to happen. Well, now I've got to change course. Now I've got to change direction. Now I've got to fix this because if I don't fix this, then it's going to change this and then change this and then change this and affect the outcome. God has already designed the blueprints. He's already established everything. And there's no hiccups. And he's determined the outcome 
and when the outcome will come to pass. And not even our mistakes or decisions can change those plans. Ephesians 1, 5, narrowing in, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Even when it comes to the salvation of the lost, that's all in His blueprint. It's all there. Each and every one of you have been predestined from the very beginning to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. It's all in the blueprint. Nothing there is left to chance. Using even our decisions, our decision to come to Christ, it's all in the blueprint. Proverbs 19.21 Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. purpose of the Lord will stand because he is a God of providence and he does all that he pleases and he can do all that he pleases. Thirdly, providence, not chance and fate. When you believe in the reality of the providence of God, then chance and fate or good luck or bad luck is no longer a part of your dictionary. The providence of God extinguishes chance, fate, Luck. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Right, so even when the, 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 the die is cast upon the table, what you and I might consider, oh, the chances are that this is going to fall in this way, or chance has determined that the die has fallen in this way, the providence of God says, actually, no, God determined that the die would land in the way that it did. So when someone goes to the casino and gambles his fortunes and loses everything, it is not because of chance, it is because God had determined that this day he would lose everything. And we don't know entirely why things work out the way that they did. Perhaps the Lord is visiting that man's sins upon him. Or... Oppositely, if the person going into the casino actually hits the jackpot and wins a boatload of money, it is not because of chance, but because God has determined it so. Again, for reasons that we may not ever understand or comprehend. But one thing that we do know, according to the Scriptures, is that winning is not a sign of God's blessing either. John chapter 9, the man born blind, the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that this man was born blind? Jesus responds and says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus answers the question, gives us, sort of peels back the curtain to help us to see something that we wouldn't normally see with our own eyes. He helps us to understand it is not because this man sinned or his parents that he was born blind, but why was this man born blind? It is to display the glorious work of God in him. There's a purpose. The providence of God teaches us that there are no impersonal forces at play, but there is a personal God who causes the die to land in the way that it does. 
whether it is the die in the actual casino, whether it is the die of uncontrollable circumstances, or whether it is the die of unforeseen circumstances. He causes them to land in the way that they do for his purposes. What you and I might think to be chance, fate, or luck are actually God's acts of providence in your life that God has purposely orchestrated. As I said earlier, theology or doctrine is life. And so when we consider the providence of God, we have to consider how then does this affect us? What's the so what? How do we live this out? What does this mean for us? And considering this particular aspect of the, of the providence of God in that it extinguishes chance and fate, the providence of God helps us to, one way that it helps us is to not complain. Right? When things don't go the way that they, we think that this should go, when things don't happen in the way that we had planned, Oh, it's another rainy day. I'm supposed to be out there working on this, but now I can't because it's another rainy day. Great. Oh, great. Another bad luck. Another bad moment in my life. Why is, what is going on? Right, these things tend to produce complaining. Right, it's almost kind of natural for us to immediately go to complaint when things don't go the way they're supposed to, but the providence of God it's an antidote to this virus of complaining. It helps us to remember that when things don't go the way that we want them to, or the way they're supposed to, or even when it seems like there is a string of bad luck, we know that there is a purpose behind these things. And we know that because God is good, that He even orchestrates all of these things for the good of his people. Fourthly, providence through and without means. I love this, this story in Acts 27. Paul is imprisoned, he's chained up, and he had put him on a boat with other prisoners, and they're off to sail. And then the boat hits a storm out in the, in the middle of the ocean, and then we continue to hear of this account in Acts 27-29. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed. <laughs> they prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ships, of the ship's boat and let it go. The providence of God sometimes uses means for God to accomplish his own ends. And we see an example of this here in this passage. Here are these sailors, here are these prisoners out at sea. They're storm-tossed and fear for their life. They're praying for day to come. And then the, the prisoners, or these sailors, were seeking to escape from the ship. Perhaps it was getting too dangerous. It's another boat there tied, anchored to, uh, tethered to the ship. We can seek a way of escape. We have a chance of making out alive if we get off the ship and get into this other ship, in this other boat. 
And Paul says to the ones in charge, you cannot let these men go. Everybody needs to stay, stay on the ship because that is the only way that you can be saved. He's pointing to the providence of God. The only way that God will spare our lives is if you do not let any men get off this ship. Could God have just calmed the storm? Of course he could have. Could God have God or created some other means of their salvation? Of course he could. He's God. But for whatever reason, God decided to use the boat as a means of their preservation and their salvation. You need to stay on the boat if, you, if anybody is going to live. Romans 4.19, speaking about Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Everything in Abraham's life was telling him, there is no way that you are going to have a child. Abraham, you're old. Abraham, your wife is old. She cannot have any children. But the passage tells us, he didn't ever weaken in his faith. And the channel of blessing was that faith. The way that he received the promise was through faith. God used the channel of his faith, of Abraham's faith, to bring about his purposeful providence, and that is in bringing unto his life the promised child through the womb of his wife's Sarah. Abraham's faith was a kind was a kind of ship that became the means of his preservation. The preservation of his line, the line of promise. Faith is a channel. Faith is the means. As we consider this particular aspect of divine providence, there may be challenges in your life. There may be things going on in your life that say, just give it all up. Right, where is God? Or why is this happening? Why aren't things letting up? Why aren't things getting any better? For the Lord, through his providence, has you here today to remind you that you need to stay on the, on the ship of faith. Because the moment that you abandon the ship, you abandon all hope. Faith is the means of your preservation. Faith is the means of your salvation. The only way that you will get to the glorious end is through the ship of faith. that if you want to continue to maintain or be continue to be in the salvation that Christ has brought for you, that you must by faith stay on the ship. God uses means to accomplish its own ends, but he doesn't have to use means. One example of this is in Daniel in chapter 3. 
by the way, I'm using a lot of scripture references. If you already think I use a lot of scripture references in my sermons, this is going to be a really struggle for you. I don't mean to make your life any more challenging. But I'm simply just trying to give you the passages that point to these different aspects of the providence of God and sort of let the scriptures hopefully do most of the talking and the teaching here. Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace, but they're preserved. They're saved. There's not a single burn on their skin. Not even their clothes are burned. They come in one way, and then they come out in exactly the same way that they went in. And God didn't use any particular means to preserve them and save their lives. He just saved their lives. So God's providence is free to use means when he wants to accomplish his own ends, and sometimes he doesn't have to, or he never has to use means. And sometimes he doesn't use means to accomplish his purposes. Fifthly, providence over sin. In the 1689 Confession, it says, The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God are so thoroughly demonstrated in his providence that his sovereign plan includes even the first fall, the fall of Adam it's referring to, and every other sinful action, both of angels and humans. Even the first fall part of God's original blueprint. And that even in the first fall, and every sin that came afterwards, we see through it the almighty power and the unsearchable wisdom and the infinite goodness of God. Romans 11.32, For God has consigned all to disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Romans 9.21 Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory? for vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. Romans 11 and Romans 9 are telling us at least one reason, one purpose, why God permits sin and evil and wickedness in the world. And one reason is that they serve to highlight the mercy of God. Sin, evil, and wickedness have no other function than to serve as a mantle fully displaying of the great trophy of the mercy of God. So he is willing to endure these vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known just how rich he is in glory of his mercy. He allows, he permits, sins of angels and humans, even the very first fall, in order to highlight just how sweet his mercy is towards sinners.
when you consider the providence of God, you must also consider God's decree. And God's decree is God's eternal plan whereby he foreordains all things that come to pass for his own glory. The scriptures teach us that it was part of God's decree in the crucifixion of his son. Acts tells us that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Now, it doesn't mean that God is evil. It doesn't make God out to be a sinner because God, his intent from the very beginning was to bring about good, was to bring about the salvation of the lost through the heinousness and the wickedness of the cross of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, the Lord does hold man accountable for their sins. When it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, he holds the religious teachers, he holds Judas, and he holds the Romans accountable for their sins, even though it was part of God's eternal decree that Christ Jesus would be crucified. And part of the reason why one is held accountable and one is not, namely God, is in part because of intent. God did not intend evil through the cross of Jesus Christ, but on the other hand, the decree of the Romans was to inflict punishment on someone that they considered to be a criminal, an offender, an opposer of that which is good and righteous. They intended to harm Jesus to the fullest extent possible even to the point of killing him. Judas is held accountable because his, his decree, his intent, his plan was to inflict evil upon Jesus by betraying him into the hands of sinners for money. Jesus holds the religious teachers and unbelieving Jews accountable because they were the ones by ill intent planned and did hand Jesus over to the Romans in order to be crucified. And praise be to God that even through such malicious and evil intent and actions, through his divine providence, God brought about an eternal good that results in you and I sitting here today. Sixthly, providence and divine desertion. What is this getting at? Providence and divine desertion. It speaks to our wise God allowing us to suffer trials, and temptations. Second Chronicles 32.25, we see an example. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Verse 31 and so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him 
to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. There are moments when God withdraws, and that is also a part of his divine providence. We see in the case of Hezekiah that he was proud and God intended to inflict wrath upon him and the entire nation. But he humbled himself. They repented and God relented his wrath. But then later on we see that God withdrew his presence in order to make known what was actually in the heart of Hezekiah. We see another example with Paul's sword in the flesh after receiving these great revelations from God. A passage tells us in Corinthians that in order to keep Paul from becoming so conceited because of these surpassing revelations that a thorn in the flesh was given unto him, historically we've understood to be some kind of physical ailment or some kind of physical pain in his life, this enduring pain that would not go away no matter how many times he prayed that it would go away. And God makes known what is the purpose It is to keep him humble. While we ride on the ship of our faith, sometimes the Lord shuts out the sun by darkening clouds so that we might surprisingly, with clarity, be able to see the wickedness of our own hearts. Sometimes the Lord will play for us the song of sorrow so that he might highlight the tune of his grace. Sometimes the Lord will cause us to taste bitterness in order to sweeten the joy of his love. We sometimes need chastisement and discipline so that we might then grow to learn the joy and the gladness of obedience. There's a hymn that is just just saturated with the providence of God in this particular aspect of the providence of God. And it's in John Newton's hymn. I believe it's, I don't remember what it's called. A, I asked the Lord, I don't know if that's what it's called. That's how it starts. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace and more of his salvation know. As he continues with the hymn, it turns to a kind of lament because he's sort of receiving from what appears to him the opposite. He asks for blessing of the Lord. He asks for the favor of God. Instead, he receives a kind of what he appears to be some kind of suffering. He's in a particular trial, and he doesn't understand what in the world is going on. God, I didn't ask for this. And as the hymn continues, it goes, Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest seek thy all in me. In his providence, why does God sometimes withdraw his presence from us and allow us to suffer trials and temptations? Because sometimes, apart from that divine desertion, we cannot understand the depths of our own depravity. Because sometimes we cannot see our own attachments to worldly pleasures. Apart from that divine and providential desertion. And it is in this way that we come to see these things. It is in this way also that God 
intends to show us also his great mercy. So when it comes to these moments when we feel or it appears that God has deserted us, withdrawn his presence from us, what is the proper response? The proper response is to receive it with humility. And not to, to grumble and complain, but to receive it with all humility. And how do you receive it with humility? By being thankful through it. Not thanking God for the trial. You don't have to thank God for the trial. Trials are painful. But be thankful through the trial. Maintain a heart of gratitude. Remaining grateful unto the Lord for His providential care, for His wise purposes, for His eternal goodness, for the things that He has done and continues to do for you in your life and has promised to do for you according to the Scriptures. Seventh, providence and judgment on the wicked. God in His providence does judge the wicked, not not just simply withhold His judgment to the very end, but brings about His judgment in the present. And one way that He does this is by simply withholding His grace. The grace that is required to turn sinners from being so inward to being more outward, from looking into themselves and looking to Christ Jesus for their salvation. It is in His handing people over to their sin. Romans 1.24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In his providence, exercised in his judgments, the Lord simply hands sinners over to what they desire, and that is more sin. If you want sin, then you will get more sin. If you want more of yourself, then you will get more of yourself. He withholds his grace and his providence. And if you continue to read throughout the rest of the chapter, you continue to see what this present-day judgment is like. It is when a people, when a nation, will not give up their sin and will not turn to the Lord and worship idols and worship themselves, God gives them up to more sin. God gives people and nations over to homosexuality. God gives man over to depravity, to disobedience to parents, to more foolishness, to more heartlessness, to more ruthlessness. In Romans chapter 9, Paul says that there is a hardening upon the Jewish people. And why might this be the case? Because they are the ones who handed Jesus over to sin, or rather to the cross. So that they hardened their own hearts, and because they hardened their own hearts to their Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, God then gives them over to increasing hardening of their own hearts. 
Not all without exception. There are some who still believe in Jesus as their Messiah, but not all. Exodus 8.15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. When you read the Exodus accounts, you see two different realities, that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It's not one or the other, but both are presented to us as, one, as, as two different realities. Pharaoh hardened his own heart towards the Lord, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart towards himself. And in part, what this hardening is, is God withdrawing his grace to where the end result is that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Which Romans goes on to say that it is for the purpose of God displaying the glory of his power. 2 Thessalonians 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. For what reason? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Why is there a giving up towards deception because man refuses to love the truth and so be saved. So what happens when man refuses to believe in the truth is that God gives them up to un- that which is untrue, to greater lies and greater deception. I recently watched the Netflix documentary about Aaron Hernandez, the former Patriots football player who was incarcerated and took his own life. And according to the documentary, one of the most pivotal moments in his life was when his father passed away. Prior to that, his father was sort of what kept Aaron in line. But once his father passed away, then began the sort of downward trajectory. Similarly, when God withdraws his grace, he's also withdrawing the restraint upon the sinfulness of human, the human heart so that it does ultimately what it pleases, and that is a giving up, a giving oneself up to more and more and more sin. As we consider this particular aspect of the providence of God, lived out, this should not prevent us from evangelism, but rather should fuel our evangelism. That the Lord, in the, as a form of his judgment, would give man over to sin because that's ultimately what he desires. God, at the same time, has established his church and equipped his church and, co- and, and commissioned his church to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to save man from, all, from what he has been handed over to because of his sinful desires. That we have the means of turning man back unto the Lord by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are proclaiming to the world, get on the ship. Get on the ship of faith or you shall perish. The Lord has given to his church the only means of saving those who have been handed over to their sin. And that we are the means of that salvation. Not that we save others, but the Lord has given to us the means of people receiving 
salvation. It's not judgment that their sins deserve. Then eighth and lastly, the focus of God's providence. In the 1689 Confession, it says, the providence of God in a general way includes all creatures, but in a special way it takes care of His church and arranges all things to its good. According to the Confession, from which they get their information or their particular articles from the Scriptures, and according to the Scriptures from beginning to end, is that the providence of God is exercised over all things generally, but it also has a narrow focus, and that is targeted towards the bride of Jesus Christ. It narrows in on the church. Isaiah 43.3 For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. We see that the providence of God is specifically focused on God's covenant people, on those who are his prized possession. God is especially interested in his precious saints. And his great providence narrows in upon you and I. John chapter 6 speaks of this as well. When Jesus says that the Father gives unto him all those who are his, and that they're in the palm of his hand, and none can snatch them from his hand. But the providence of God tells us that God's providence is exercised over all things in generally, but the providence of God is exercised specifically upon the palm of Jesus Christ and those who are in his hands, so that they are sustained, so that they are protected, so that they are secured to the very end. Right? And this is great news. The focal point of divine providence is the bride of Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ has done, God has taken a special interest in his church. So we see that the focus of God's providence is not on a particular nation, but on the people of God. Not on the strongest or the mightiest, but the precious saints. The providence of God is not focused upon those who are wealthiest, those who are smartest, those who accomplish the greatest things in this world. No. The providence of God is much more focused on Christian pilgrims who are headed towards heaven. It's focused on them. I have this Bible that I've had for about almost more than 10 years, actually. I mean, just look at it. Seen better days. I mean, the, the flap is just coming off. I, I, I wrestle with whether or not I want to rip it off or not because it's just sort of hanging there. But there's cloth, and so there's string coming off. The edges are torn up. There's a couple stains in the front, and there's just, look at the pages. There's just like the yellowing and browning because it's used. It's not that I toss it around casually or carelessly. It's not because I miss or, 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 or abused my Bible. It's just I use it. 
I use it regularly. I use it all the time, and things wear out over time. But it's still very precious to me, not because of, not because of the exterior, but because of what's inside. Because I believe that this is the divinely inspired Word of God. Because I believe that this is profitable. Because this is how the Lord speaks to His people. And the church may actually be like this. Caring about the scars and the bruises of temptations, of trials, of suffering. So that in its exterior, it doesn't really look like much. To the rest of the world, it doesn't look like it holds that much value. But it's what's on the inside that determines the value. And what is inside of the church? It's Christ Jesus. Just as this Bible is still holding up well because the spine is still intact, there's no loose pages, so Jesus Christ is the backbone of his church. He is the one who maintains the church. He is the one who keeps it. He is the one who preserves it. And the providence of God is channeled through Jesus Christ for the benefit of the church of Jesus Christ. And the promise is that what might not look like much on the exterior will one day give way to something much more glorious when we will be joined to Jesus Christ when we see him face to face. And the most appropriate response to that is worship. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ for his great providence because it is his providence that continues to maintain his church throughout the ages. It is the providence of God that will continue to sustain and protect his church unto the very end. It is part of his divine plan. It's in his blueprint. Nothing can come against the church because Christ Jesus purchased her by his own precious blood and God continues to preserve his church through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this great providence of God is, is a soft pillow for us to rest our heads on. It is a great, a great joy for the Christian to know that no matter what happens to his church, no matter what happens to each and every one of us, as long as we remain in the ship of faith, God will always keep his people. He will always preserve them. And he will also orchestrate all things for your good to accomplish his great and glorious purposes. Praise be to God for his great providence. And with that, our response, let us worship him for his providence by taking communion together. So if you have yet to do so, there are these small cups in the back. Feel free at this time to head towards the back table and grab one of these.
I said earlier, the scriptures in the book of Acts teaches us that God, or that rather that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was hidden in his divine blueprint. That this would be the means of our salvation. So even as, as we take this meal together, let us be reminded that the cross of Jesus Christ was no accident. It was never something that God didn't plan. It was nothing that ever caught the Lord by surprise. Of course, in his original plan, it was not his desire. He never intended sin into the world. He never meant for evil to come into the world, but it comes through our our decision. But even the decision of the first man to plunge the entire world and all humanity into sin, God orchestrated all those things so that you and I can be here today to take this meal together, to glorify Christ for his glorious salvation through the cross. So even as you take this meal, if you do so with a clear conscience, clear conscience that comes from walking in the ways of the Lord, praise be to God. Take this meal, dear brother or sister, knowing that Christ Jesus has died to pay the penalty for your sins so that you no longer have to walk in the guilt and the shame of your sins today. But if for whatever reason you carry about with you a guilty conscience, if for whatever reason you carry about a shame upon you because of something that you have done or failed to do, take heart. This is a reminder to you that Christ Jesus paid for every single one of your sins. That there is forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ. You have not lost your salvation, but it is kept in Christ Jesus. And so take this meal in peace and with confidence and trust in the forgiveness that has been purchased for you through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're here, if you're a member or not, if you have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you have received baptism, if your life is characterized by the repentance that Christ requires, turning towards him, confession of one's sins, turning away from sin and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, not sinless profession that's unattainable in this life, but a careful walking in step with the word of the Lord, then you are invited to take this meal as a brother or sister in Christ Jesus. But if you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we ask that you not take this meal because the scriptures make clear that this is a meal for those who are in the ship of faith. And to take this meal in unworthy manners, apart from faith, you would be drinking a particular form of judgment upon your life. The Lord is free to visit upon you even this very day. But I would ask that you would consider what you have heard this morning. Consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. Consider coming onto the ship of faith. Save yourself from the grasp to come. Save yourself from hopelessness. Save yourself from the judgment that your sins deserve by calling unto Jesus today as your precious and dear Savior. 
confessing that you are a sinner before the Lord and asking for His forgiveness. And if you do so with a sincere heart and with faith, then you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. And the Lord will reach out as you swim upon the waters of His judgment and bring you onto His boat of salvation. In a moment, we're going to take this meal together, the bread first and then the cup. But before we do, let us take a moment to pause and reflect on the gospel of Jesus Christ and trust in the, confession, in, the, in the forgiveness of our sins, even as we confess any sins that we should confess unto the Lord. So let's take a moment, silently reflect and pray to the Lord. We're going to take these in the same manner that we've always done. Even as we, we do not believe that this is actually becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ, but these are things that represent to us the body of Christ bruised for us and the blood of Christ shed for us. So even as we take these things together, let us also believe the body of Christ was bruised for us and the blood of Jesus was shed for us even as we say them audibly. So let us bread together. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ bruised for you. The body of Christ bruised for me. In the same way, let us take the cup. Dear saints, the blood of Jesus shed for you. The blood of Jesus shed for me. Father, we worship you and we praise you for your glorious work of divine providence. We thank you, Lord, that it is through your providence that we have come to know your great and rich grace. Lord, would you help us when things don't go the way that we expect, when we feel as if you have withdrawn your presence from us, help us to receive these things in humility. Help us to maintain a heart of gratitude. And help us to pray even through the trials and sufferings, Lord, and even moments of grief, help us to pray that you might accomplish your glorious purposes for your own namesake and also for our good. Lord, continue 
your great work of providence in the life, through the life, in the life of your people. Continue to preserve, to keep, and establish, and continue to grow your church. Lord, we pray that you might, through your divine providence, using the means of our lips, bring salvation to the lost. Bring more souls to saving faith in Christ Jesus. Let us see your act of divine providence. And the salvation of the lost. Let us see these things. Let us pray for these things. And let us believe for these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand in response of uh, today's word. Let's sing one more song together. Amen.
creator of all things. Lord, we are at the mercy of your hands each and every day. Lord, you sustain our lives. You provide for us. And you demonstrate and show us your grace upon our lives. Lord, you Father, our sovereign over all creation. Praise be to God. Lord, we praise you for your divine providence as we heard today that rules over any chance or fate or sin. And so, God, may we put our trust in you, Lord. Open our eyes to our depravity and lead us to repentance, Lord, as, as you remind us of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Yes, Lord. God, bring us to a place of humility as well as we attempt to comprehend your providence over our lives. And Lord, may we find comfort in your providence. Lord, keep your, keep your face shining upon us. May we trust your promises, Lord. May we trust you in all things. Keep your people, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Word of God says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Church, God bless you. You are dismissed. Amen.